At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, warmer from below. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Cups and Soups with myself, Greg Eubes Peterson, now part of the Beast and Family podcast. We've got an excellent podcast for you guys. Joining me in segment number two, our good friend Sean Paul, who does great work over at the Field of 68. He is going to be aboard, and we're going to be talking about what we've all noticed this year in terms of a totals perspective, as he also does great work over at Action Network, so we'll get a little bit of his thoughts there. We're going to get the take of him with regards to some of the teams that he's a little bit bullish and bearish on from what he's seen in the beginning part of the season, and we're going to break down Monday's games with him, and then in the final segment, going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. Well, it's only small card today, as we're used to like 100 billion billion games with them starting at 8 p.m. and going until midnight. So, a little bit unfortunate there, but you know what? Feast Week was fun while we had it. And if you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters ZM. Maybe it does not matter. So, as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And from there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via the five star review. Did not get in any Twitter slash X questions today, but we did have a fun day of college basketball on Sunday. Let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game through yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. How about the uh, just bonsai charge that Texas A&M had late against Iowa State? 73-69. to They pull off the win after they were down 21 points in the first half. As for Texas A&M, they were also down Tyrese Radford along with Henry Coleman. You do want to be checking in on their status moving forward. And it's not even like Wade Taylor the fourth had a great game. He had eight turnovers and 14 points. So that was very interesting to look at as the main guy, Solomon Washington. He chips in their 18 points for Texas A&M by committee. They're able to win the rebound battle by a count of 41 to 38 as for Texas A&M, despite the fact that Wade Taylor had eight turnovers by himself, this team actually wins the turnover battle by a count of 16 to 13. And Damon Lipsby, he tried his best. Didn't necessarily give you a ton on the offensive side of things, but 10 points, 14 rebounds, four assists, three steals. Kashan Gilbert chips in their three steals as well. But for Iowa State, nine of 34 from three-point range. And for Texas A&M, they actually weren't any better at six of 24 from distance. But Texas A&M being able to grab more offensive rebounds and being able to take a little bit more care of the ball, that got it done for them. And also out there in the Big 12, you saw Texas be able to 
look a little bit more strong than they did out there at MSG as they take down Wyoming. They win. They cover 86-63. The final as for Texas. What was very nice to see was Max Aismas really taking hold with 23 points, 3 assists. Overall for Texas, they go 6-15 from 3-point range. And then for Wyoming, Sam Griffin, he was able to chip in there 12 points. But for Wyoming, they lose the rebound battle by kind of 38-28. to 28. That's something that's probably going to be ailing them quite a bit moving forward, though. You did have Cam Manyal, who was able to chip in there 10 rebounds. But on a little bit of a tough display there in West Virginia. Talk about tough displays. They very nearly lost to Bellarmine, 62-58. to West Virginia able to skate by as they go 3 of 16 from 3 par range. Jesse Edwards bailed them out with 17 points, 14 rebounds, a trio of blocks. And for West Virginia, just 6 points off the bench as the Kirkreesa. This is a team that is very thin right now. At last, we got a DK Network write-up pick win. It has been a rough run of it last week and a half or so, so things always feel good to get, and everyone goes through rough patches, so hopefully this starts something. We had the under in Florida Atlantic versus Virginia Tech, and saves under very easily. 84-50. to 50. Florida Atlantic just absolutely dump trucks Virginia Tech. For Virginia Tech, they go 2 of 17 from 3-par range, 33% from the floor. Sloppy game. It could buy 29 turnovers between both of these teams, but you figure Virginia Tech might hit a little bit of a cooler, and Sean Padula, Hunter Couture, 0 of 12 from 3-point range. I would call that a little bit of a cooler. And for Florida Atlantic, 9 of 22 from 3-point range. They just always find a way to get it done. As John L. Davis, Elijah Martin, they combined for 29 points. Now, they did combine for 7 turnovers as well, but 15 rebounds. You were able to have 6 assists, 9 points out of Jalen Gaffney. Just a good team effort from Florida Atlantic as they're able to get it done for Colorado. They get it done against Iona. 85-68 to the final now. They got up to being about a 19 to a 19.5 point favorite, so they were unable to cover the spread, but still a relatively solid showing from Colorado as they shoot north of 60% from the floor. They were able to win the rebound battle 35-25 to as for Iona, they're still without their main big man in Osborne Shema, though they did have Isaac Trout along Greg Gordon combined for 37 points. That means that the rest of the team had a combined 31, but for Colorado, very balanced effort. You had five different guys reach at least 11 points in this one, so a good team win for Colorado, and how about a good, solid win as well if you're a fan of the Atlantic 10 as George Washington, our nation's first president, we saw him at Trenton fight very hard, and now he gets it done against Delaware. 81-71 to as for George Washington, they were down 13 points at the half, but I really like this team that is now 6-1 as they were able to get Maximus Edwards to maximize his production off the bench. 24 points, 8 rebounds, and then you had James Bishop the 4th. 28 points out of him for Delaware. They go just 4 of 24 from 3-point range. Jair Davis was able to chip in their 23 points. And these are two legitimately good mid-majors. But that was something that really stood out to me. And this has been a little bit of a surprising team. VCU has been up and down. But they take down Penn State by kind of 86 to 74 in the Mike Rhodes reunion sort of game. As for VCU, they go 8 of 15 from 3-point range. For VCU, they were able to do a solid job on glass as well, winning that battle 36-29 as VCU did have 15 turnovers in this one, and they're still looking for Sean Bearsow to get back in the fold, but Max Scholga, Zeb Jackson, a combined 41 points in this one, so that was a big, giant display there, and talking about big, giant displays, how about what we got from UNC Asheville? I have no idea why they became such a big underdog, but they went outright against Western Kentucky.
Kentucky 77-67 as it was a day full of quite a few comebacks. Asheville, they were down about 10 points at the half, but Nicholas McMillan was able to give Drew Pember some support. He did a nice job with 18 points, going 6 of 9, very nice from the floor. And then for Mr. Pember, he actually came in off the bench Four turnovers, 15 points, wasn't necessarily sharp in this game, but for UNC Asheville, what they did a nice job of was bottling up Western Kentucky from three-point range. Western Kentucky, two of 14 from three, and Asheville typically has problems with regards to turnovers. They win that battle 19 to 14. We saw a deplorable display of refereeing, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this in segment number two with Sean Paul, but for New Mexico State, they had to finish the game with four guys because of so many fouls. 90-84, to 84, Louisville is able to come back from down eight points with 70 seconds remaining to be able to get the win. This was just completely ripped away from New Mexico State. New Mexico State was called for 40 fouls. 40! They had a, six different guys fell out of this game. I have never seen anything quite like it. And, I mean, were they playing a little bit physical? Yes, they were. But this is really what's been bad about college basketball this year. Hopefully, I'm not speaking out of turn. This is a little bit of a non-gambling take. This is just me speaking aloud. But when you have 40 fouls in a 45-minute game, my goodness gracious, something has went totally wrong. And those refs better be reprimanded. That's all I can say. 40 fouls. That's just inexcusable. And it's not like Louisville was being super aggressive. Louisville obviously wins a free throw battle. 36 out of 49 for them. 9 out of 17 for New Mexico State. So it was completely one-sided. 40 to 16 was the foul disparity here. As Sky Clark, Trey White, they were able to put in there a combined 51 points. And because I guess you've got a bozo on the sidelines for Louisville, you need the refs to bail them out. But Louisville, 4 of 20 from three-point range. New Mexico State, they were able to shoot 58.5% from floor, and they got completely jobbed on their way to the great state of Kentucky. So hopefully the rest of the state treated them much more politely than those terrible refs and what we have been seeing thus far this season, and that's certainly something that we're going to be talking about with our good friend John Paul in segment number two. I'm sorry, but that just absolutely drives me insane, and I think even the most staunch of Louisville fans would admit that was bad. What it was good, though, is if you took the points with Cal State Fullerton. Nebraska, they get the job done, they get the job done handily, but Fullerton able to cover this game 85-72, to and I like what I've seen out of this Nebraska team. They go 12-30 of from three-point range. Kasai Shobanaga was able to chip in their 17 points. You had a nice 13-point performance out of Jawan Gary as well for Fullerton. They hold in there because Max Jones was playing to the max. 30 points, 5 of 7 from three-point range, so he was able to do a nice job for a Fullerton team that's clearly in transition after they lose Rattel right cell from a season ago, but all in all, things are coming along for them, and this was something that I thought was very startling, and I cannot leave this podcast without mentioning it. How about Pacific getting taken on their home Florida overtime against Mississippi Valley State? Pacific escapes with their lives by a count of 68-65, to 65, and they were in full control of this game. There was a point where Pacific was up by 15 points with right around about 14 and a half minutes remaining in this game, and for Mississippi Valley State, it was a Raekwon Brown show with 23 points for Mississippi Valley State. They actually play even up in terms of the turnover battle. Both of these teams had 29 rebounds apiece. 
For Pacific, they go just 9 of 31 from 3, and this Pacific team just really doesn't have any size whatsoever. They were able to get 9 rebounds in this game out of Cam Denson, but this is the same Pacific team that knocked off Cal on the road a little bit earlier in the season, so that's of intrigue, and this is also of intrigue. I've been talking about teams that you might want to buy low on. Charleston, I felt like, was one of those classic examples after their first five games of the year. They were shooting, I believe, it was something like 21 out of something like 115, 117, something like that from three. Well, Charleston is back, baby. 13 of 32 from three. They go on the road, and they get a big win against Kent State by a count of 84 to 78. For Kent State, they were able to have... Jalen Selinger put in their 23 points, but for Charleston, they were able to play even up on the glass. They commit one fewer turnover than a Kent State team that really specializes in turnovers, and it just had all sorts of good scoring. Rain Smith puts in their 21 points. Pranky Polacelli, 16 points. You were able to get 10 big points off the bench out of Jordan Crawford. So Charleston, they're able to go right around nine or so deep. I think that this is a sign of things to come, and for UIC, they were unable to win the game outright, but UIC has now covered every one of their games as far this season. They fall to UNC Greensboro by a count of 58 to 57. They were catching about two and a half to three points in this game for UIC. They go just eight of 30 from three-point range, but held up defensively as for UNC Greensboro. They win this game because they turn the ball over just three times, 14 turnovers for UIC, but UIC completely dominated on the glass by a count of 40 to 30 as well for UNC Greensboro. Michael Brown-Jones just continues to be awesome. 15 points, nine boards. He's currently shooting north of 55% from three-point range in the Langley Keyshawn and Kobe Langley. A combined 20 points, 6 steals. That allowed UNC Greensboro to get a narrow win over UIC and after we saw a whole bunch of overs in college basketball on Sunday, order was restored with regards to the unders on Sunday. And if you are looking at the last seven days in college basketball, it still has been quite overwhelming. Last seven days in college basketball, 192 overs to 158 unders. So that's about a 55% hit rate to the over with favorites in the time span. Starting to dry up. 168, 176, and 8 against the spread. But if you're looking at the entirety of the college basketball season, favorites still dominating at about 51%. 500, 482, and 16 against the spread with home underdogs. Currently inning at just 48%, 110, 119, and 6 against the spread. Meanwhile, overs, they have been overwhelming. 52.3% to the over thus far this season. 517 overs, 472 unders, and I believe in terms of pushes, we've seen, I would like to say, uh, 10 of them thus far. It might be 9, but we've seen a, only a few pushes thus far, which I do find to be very intriguing. And if you take a look at what we got on Sunday, we did see a little bit over 52% of games go under the total. So that's what we got in college basketball on Sunday, and that's what we're getting trend-wise. Now, let's talk with our good friend Sean Paul. We have to air out what we've all been seeing with regards to these totals, and it being a result of a little bit of refereeing. We're not going to badger too much about the refereeing. I got out my grievances when I was talking about that New Mexico State game, but we're certainly going to be diving in there. We're going to be taking a look at some games for Monday and a few teams that he's bullish and bearish on. That's up next right here on Cusco Soups with myself, Greg Eubes Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host. 
Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sports betting innovative analytics has taken the guesswork and emotion out of sports betting to bring you an innovative and trustworthy resource to enhance your journey to becoming a winning player. With industry-leading money-back guarantee options backed by their sophisticated modeling, they want to introduce you to a system that's not widely seen or available to help you beat the bookmaker. Specializing in NBA, college basketball, and WNBA, your first week is always free. Get started at SBIA1.com today. Welcome back to Las Vegas for Coach Cup Soups with myself, Craig Ips Peterson, now part of the Visa Family of Podcasts. And it is always a pleasure to be joined by this man as we've got Sean Paul aboard. He does a tremendous job over at the Field of 68 doing their mid-major show with Brian Burton. Those two gentlemen, they just absolutely love college basketball. It's great to get any of those two gentlemen aboard. On top of that, I know he's doing some great work over at Action Network as well, trying to unearth a little bit of money with regards to the betting side of things. With Sean, he knows a little bit about all 362 teams. He's just a wealth of knowledge and 
a man that you're able to follow on Twitter slash X at his first and last name, Sean Paul, number the letter of CBB. Always have to throw this in there. It's a proper spelling on Sean. That's the A. I apologize to anyone who has the H in Sean, if you might be listening. We still love, we love all Sean's around here, but I don't think this is a more natural spelling. Hey, you can have your love slash hate of Sean's. I like (laughs) all of them. So we are a very inclusive show to all Sean's here, but Sean, I always appreciate it, my friend. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on as always, Greg. I'm excited to be talking some hoops today. I'm excited to have you aboard as well. And Sean, what have you made out of the first few weeks of the college basketball season? Because from a betting perspective, one thing that I've noticed is that totals are way up and it's led to a lot of overs. And quite frankly, mm-hmm. for those watching at home, a lot more choppy play with all the fellows being called. I mean, we talked about this last time I was on too, and it really hasn't changed. If anything, it's gotten more extreme. But the amount of charges being called are slim to none. It's pretty much all blocks at this point. Before, it was pretty much a coin flip. And honestly, I would love to go back to that. Like, I complained about it when it happened. I'm like, why are we always flipping the coin to figure out what the call is going to be? I miss that because every single time now, it's it's a blocking foul. Like, you look at that game earlier to the recording in Mexico State against Louisville. That's probably a chart. And it was called at the end of regulation a blocking foul. Obviously, it ends up not mattering because KOC Eziagu missed two free throws and went to overtime and we all know what happened from there on. But I just think that has played a significant impact on the way we look at totals because teams are getting into the bonus faster. Teams are getting fouled more, less turnovers, which is what charges are, and more free throws. Like All that contributes to the high octane scoring we've seen in college basketball thus far. And honestly, I don't know if it's going to change because of the way the NCAA wants this called. Yeah, it's very interesting to take a look at it. It has presented a little bit more freedom of movement, but as we know, some of these calls, they have been questionable to say the least. We're trying to be as polite to these (laughs) officials as possible, but yeah, it's been pretty bad. So here's my issue before we get into the actual basketball stuff where I agree that if there's a help side defender coming in, he should not be stepping in, taking a charge. I agree. That is a blocking foul every time it can lead to injuries. At the same time, if there's someone in legal guarding position and that's being called a charge every or a blocking foul every single time, it's rewarding teams who don't practice floaters and jump stops and ways to avoid the charge. They're just barreling into defenders and it's being rewarded. They're rewarding poor offense, and that's where I really have an issue with this because it's rewarding a bad scheme, it's rewarding bad offense, and people are going to continue doing it because it's working. It's much like what we saw in the NBA with James Harden drawing all those fouls, and as we know, the NBA had to step in a few years ago and be like, yeah, it's gone a little bit too far here, guys. We're going to need to scale back on this just a little bit. So I do think that that's something that is very noteworthy, and who have been a few teams in general that you've been taking a look at thus far this season to be able to turn it forward that you have been bullish on. And there are teams that maybe you didn't have in high, as high of regard coming into the season that thus far they've exceeded your expectations. I mean, to a lesser extent, not in the rankings side of things, but VCU, although they had a few clunkers early in the season, they lost to McNeese State. They almost lost to Seattle. They almost lost to Samford that game. I think they trailed at halftime. But VCU is going to be a really good team and have a say in whatever happens in the A-10 because to begin the year, it was their defense carrying everything. But now, as we saw against Penn State, who can't defend anything, so that's worth noting. But VCU's offense looks much improved as Matt Shulga looks like possibly the best guard 
in the Atlantic 10 Conference. You've gotten some solid contributions from Zeb Jackson. Alfonso Billups came off the bench and scored 23. Jason Nelson is a really steady player off the bench also. Their depth is a total problem. That's going to be an issue for them if they have a lot of injuries. But Toby Lawal has been awesome as a sophomore. Uh, Michael Bell is another guy that's enjoying a solid sophomore season. And Christian Furman is a rebounding menace down low. So I think BCU, when it's all said and done, could wind up being the best team in the Atlantic Atlantic 10 because they're well coached. They defend their offense is slowly getting better and they have enough pieces to be the best team in that league. So they're one team I've really looked at early on. And I'm like, this team is going to be really good. I thought they'd be the second best team in the league and it still looks like that. But after the first game, They've made some huge improvements, and I would and I would be remiss if I'm not giving Nebraska some credit here. They're sitting at 46 in Ken Palm. They're seven and zero. Their strength of schedule is not great. Their best win is over Duquesne. They also beat Oregon State, but I think Duquesne is significantly better than Oregon State at this point. But Nebraska added two transfers that have completely changed their team. Rianc Mass from Bradley comes from a really good winning program. Great defender can pass the ball like Derek Walker did last year. He's a double-double machine. He'll translate that into Big Ten play with ease. And then Bryce Williams has been a great compliment to Casey Tomanaga as a shooter on the perimeter. So I think Nebraska's legit to a certain extent. They get Creighton next Sunday. That'll tell us how legit Nebraska really is. Yep, it is going to tell us how good Nebraska truly is because I was a little bit bullish on them coming into the year. I like those pieces that they brought in, especially Rink Mass. Absolutely loved his game at Bradley. And thus far for Nebraska, they've been able to – crank down the tempo after they started that last year. They're not playing out of control anymore like we saw in the early days of the Fred Hoiberg era, and it really has been refreshing to see. As Sean Paul, he does tremendous work over at the Field of 68, along with Action Network, is joining me right here on Cusco Soups. And then I'm intrigued by this team in the Big Ten that is going to be in action on Monday. That would be Rutgers. They're going to be playing against St. Peter's, and this is a line of about 14 and a half to 15 with a total between 121 to 122, and just with the way that the game is being called. I'm not sure what you think of this. And fully recognize that St. Peter's is a slow team. Rutgers is very much a defense-oriented team. But in this day and age, it's just hard to take any total that is below 125 under at this point for me. But I do take a look at this Rutgers team, and I've been intrigued by them because the loss that they took to Princeton at the beginning of the season had a lot of people out on them. But I think we have found out that Princeton is a very, very good team. That doesn't look like a bad loss, in my opinion. And for Rutgers, as we know, they've got such a good home court advantage as well. I think there's a little bit of truth in both of those statements. Princeton is awesome. They're one of the best mid-major teams in the country. Xavier Lee is a stud guard. Then obviously you have Caden Pierce and Matt Alaco as the other two pieces of that trio. But I've been very discouraged by Rutgers' offense. It just has not been very good. I mean, we just got to call it what it is. They're shooting 28% from three, 63% from the free throw line, and 42% from the field. None of those are winning formulas, no matter how elite your defense is. And they are elite defensively, but their guards were a question coming in. And I think everybody had a little bit of hope that Gavin Griffiths, the freshman top 45 recruit, would be that guy that is able to carry the offense. And that just hasn't been the case. He's averaging 10 points fourth on the team in that regard 24 percent from three and he's known as an elite shooter so he just hasn't figured it out at this level yet maybe he will that'll take time Jamichael Davis is also another young guy that looks promising but overall Rutgers offense they don't have a clear number one option and if their number one option is Andre Hyatt can you legitimately make the NCAA tournament when Andre Hyatt is your number one scoring option I'm skeptical that that's the case I mean Derek Simpson hasn't quite taken that next step 
there's just a lot of pieces that haven't developed the way I thought they would. So I'm honestly out on Rutgers. I don't see it with this team. I don't think their offense is good enough. I don't think they did enough from the portal to replace Paul Mulcahy and Caleb McConnell and the other losses they had, who were defensive players first anyways. Their offense just isn't there for me. Yep, I do think that with Rutgers, it's not the same team as a season ago. That loss of Caleb McConnell and then Paul McKay as well is just a sachet sufferer, and I do think that he's going to do some very good things over at Washington. That is big for me as well. I just can't take a total of 122 under at no, this no, no, point. No, no. Because I, would go, I would go over for sure just because of the way, like you said, the way that things are being officiated. But Rutgers, And man, St. Peter's is fouling on 33% of yeah. possessions. Hey, also, if you're shooting 60% from the free throw line, that might be a smart strategy to just foul Rutgers because they can't make free throws. Just as long as they don't pull a New Mexico State and they finish a game with four guys. That is what a little That's bit true. too far. Yeah. Although I will say there was some rough officiating in that game as well. Yeah, a little bit of maybe some home court advantage there. Just a little bit, as I think that the officials were like, we can't allow to take another loss. So there was that as Sean Paul does tremendous work over at Action Network. is going to be right here on Coast Coast Soups. And really what I think is a marquee game of the night for Monday is this Utah versus St. Mary's game. Because with St. Mary's, offense was looking absolutely atrocious prior to that game against Davidson. They absolutely exploded against Davidson. And I fully do not think that St. Mary's, uh, that three-game stretch, is representative of them. I also don't think that they're the team that put up north of 85 points against Davidson. I think that things are going to find their equilibrium with this team. But they're going up against a Utah team that I really like. I like the Carlson's down low. I like what Raleigh Worcester is able to do in the backcourt. And right now we're seeing a line with... Utah being about a five-point underdog, and the total is in the mid-30s. And I take a look at this Utah team, and I can't make them the favorite in this spot, but I do think that being able to catch north of a possession with them, I feel like it's some relatively solid value. Yeah, I'm actually previewing this one for action, so you can go read that one as you listen to this podcast afterwards. Yeah, my read on this game here is Utah, I think everybody was like, this is going to be a great defensive team. You have Brandon Carlson to handle the load on offense. We can get out of Gabe Madsen and Raleigh Worcester is huge. I have a few issues with Utah. Their defense has not been that good. They're 49th in defensive efficiency, which for them, I feel like it should be a lot better. But they allowed 91 points to St. John's. They couldn't stop them at all. And that's a St. John's offense that was pretty bad heading into that game in the Charleston Classic. So that's an issue. Secondly, I don't know why they're using Brandon Carlson at the four with Lawson Levering at the five. I know their depth isn't great. But I would rather play four guard and use Brandon Carlson at the five to expose opposing bigs that are slower than use Lovering as a post option down low and play Carlson at the four. I just don't think there's as much of an advantage there when you're playing Carlson against more athletic dudes at the four and you're letting Lovering do what he's going to do at the five. Lovering's a fine player, but I think he's better off the bench. Utah's offense would get better if they played Brandon Carlson at the five, and they've already had a really solid offense so far, mostly because of him, but I think he could be even better if they use him better. Uh, but for St. Mary's, I think all of their success hinges on Augustus Marshallonis. Like, he is their point guard. Logan Johnson is gone. They needed him to step up right away, and it was a real struggle in those losses against Weber State and Washington and San Diego State, but he was great against Davidson. Is that going to be a momentum-building game for him, or is it just going to be one game where he just went off and did his thing? If he is a guy that can average 10 points per game, four or five assists, one turnover, then St. Mary's is going to be a really good team. Maybe not a top 25 team, but that's still a tournament team. But when it comes down to it, if he's not playing well, St. Mary's is not going to make the NCAA tournament because you need a point guard to set up Mahaney, set up everybody else. And Marshall Lone has hadn't done that before the game against Davidson. 
Yep, I do think that that is so key as well. And St. Mary's, they do run back so much from a season ago. And we all remember a season ago, they were right there with Gonzaga atop the WCC. So I do think that it was a little bit of a blip on the radar with what they did experience. Now, I think that they might be taking maybe a little bit of a setback from a season ago as well. But this is going to be such a fascinating game, and it's going to tell so much about Utah and St. Mary's. So that is one that I think is really going to be the best game just for viewing purposes on Monday. But when it comes down to the slate that we do have on Monday, what are a few other games that you're taking a look at? And they do intrigue you. It could be a game that you're betting, a game that you're not betting, or maybe just a team or two that you want to see a little bit more from. I think the game of the day is certainly Utah against St. Mary's, like we talked about. But Fresno State and UC Santa Barbara is one that has a little bit of intrigue to me. You look at UC Santa Barbara, obviously a couple of losses, one to Portland State, one to UTEP. Two teams that look a little bit better than I think everybody thought they would be. Two very defensive-oriented teams. And if you look at what UCSB was dealing with personnel-wise in those games, they didn't have A.J. Mitchell. He's their best player. He's one of the best guards in the country. And when you don't have that guy and you don't have another true point guard on the roster because Ben Schlossberg is also hurt, then you're going to have some problems with turning the ball over and setting up the offense against two teams that really want to pressure you. So those were just two really bad matchups for the way that lineup was structured at the time. But now that Mitchell's back, they have enough talent with Cole Anderson and Josh Pierre-Louis and Johan Traore, and obviously Mitchell running the show, to go and beat a Mountain West opponent. Not a very good Mountain West opponent in Fresno State, but I have no doubt that UCSB should be the one. I don't know if the line is on this one. Fresno State is a two to two and a half point favorite. Really? Okay, yeah. I mean, I would make that line like even probably. I'm going to go UC Santa Barbara all the way on that one. Fresno State's offense doesn't impress me. Obviously, they want to get the ball inside with Enoch Bawachi and Eduardo Andre. Isaiah Hills had a really good year, but their perimeter scoring, that's been an issue for a while. It's been a little bit better this year. They don't shoot a ton of threes, but Ducell coming in has been huge. Donovan Yap's been solid. But I just don't trust their guard scoring enough, even though it's been a little bit improved, to beat a team that's this talented. Honestly, on paper, I think UC Santa Barbara has a talent advantage. So I would take the Gauchos in this one uh, up to an even line, honestly. Yeah, and with UC Santa Barbara, getting back A.J. Mitchell in their last game was just so big. What we saw out of UC Santa Barbara those first few games, the game against UTEP, you're able to go down the list. That's not truly this UC Santa Barbara team. Getting him back was just so big. And there I say he's one of the best guards at a mid-major conference in all of college basketball. So oh, that's, something that, yep, that's one that I'm certainly going to be locked in on. And Sean, I know that you're locked in on this great game of college basketball, doing a tremendous job, breaking it down over at your mid-major show over at the field of 68, doing absolutely incredible work when it comes to Action Network and so much more. So let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, Field of 68 mid-major show, uh, my writing work on Action Network, the Field of 68 daily. I do a thing on there once a week, so make sure to tune into all of that. Make sure to subscribe to the Field of 68 Daily if you don't already. Some great content going on over there. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at SeanPaulCBB to see everything I'm working on, and hopefully everyone here enjoys. Oh, we always do enjoy getting Sean on this show because he is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to college basketball. Truly puts in the hours to take a look at every single one of these teams, everything from the major teams all the way down to what you take a look at on the Extra Games board. Sean is doing an absolutely amazing job taking a look at this tremendous sport. So a big thanks to Sean for joining me on Coast Coast Soups, now part of the Visa family of podcasts. And coming up next, it is that time the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous (laughs) of your generation that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... 
I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in Lovey, Las Vegas for Cups and Soups with myself, Greg Eames Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to be joined by Sean Paul. He does an absolutely incredible job taking a look at this game that we all know and love of college basketball. Every single time he joins this podcast, he lends amazing insights and was great to be able to get him aboard today. A big thanks to Sean for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. You note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash X feed at unit underscore 81. And we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits on the rotation first and then the games with six digits. Those involve smaller conferences out there in the MEAC, the SWAC, the America East, the Northeast Conference. Big South, those are going to be the games that are at the bottom. If I didn't say Atlantic Sun, Atlantic Sun as well. So let's get things started with 851-852 on the betting board. It is Oakland, and they're going to be on the road facing off against Xavier. The X-Men find themselves as 14 to 14 and a half point favorites, and your total is anywhere between 148 and 148 and a half. Did set my line at 13 and a half. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Oakland. We've already seen Oakland have two very good efforts against power conference teams. They go on the road. They play Ohio State tough. They hang within 11 against Illinois. They were able to cover both of those games very easily. And though I, on this podcast, have been critical of Rocket Watts and still think that he's not really living up to his billing, a guy that I do like from this team is Trey Townsend. Townsend has been able to give you 15 points, 8.5 boards, currently shooting 50% from three-point range as a 6 Six combo player. I do think that that's going to fall off, but last year he did shoot 38.5% from three. And this is an Oakland team that's playing much more controlled than they did a season ago. Last few seasons, Greg Campy's teams have been absolutely horrible on defense, typically outside the top 300 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. Not like they're absolutely lighting the world on fire or anything like that, but 184th has actually marked improvement for the team going up against a Xavier team that they just don't have the same offensive firepower as they did a season ago. They've slowed down a touch from a season ago. Xavier is currently right around about 50th in terms of total possessions per game, and Oakland has really slowed down their tempo as well. Typically, this is a little bit of a faster team. Now, they're more in that neighborhood, about 232nd in terms of total possessions per game. I do think that Xavier is going to be able to figure it out with the guys that did come in via the transfer portal, as they've got a set sheet suffering Davion McKnight that last year over at Western Kentucky was logging right around like 15 points, 5 boards, 4 assists. This year, he's down to 8 points per contest, and for Xavier, they're a better shooting team than about 31.5% from three-point range. Quincy Alvary, who comes in from Rice, Goals. he's been able to give you 14 points, eight boards. I like what he's been able to bring to the table. And it's been all about Desmond Claude, who's really the only of their guys that average north of two and a half points per game that is backed from a season ago. He's been able to give you about 15 and a half points per game, but you can tell that it's a little bit of a work in progress down low. You don't have anyone giving you north of five and a half rebounds per game. Gaitis 
Namiska, he's been able to do a solid job down low, but I think that Townsend is going to be able to keep Oakland lively in this game. I do think that we are going to see Xavier be able to get a little bit more online on offense, and I do have my fear that Oakland is going to regress a little bit on defense, which is why I did set my total at a 149 and a half. Even though Xavier isn't quite the same offensive team as they were a season ago, they're still pretty up-tempo, so I'm going to be taking a look at the over, but I do think that for Oakland, having Chris Conway being able to step up, give you about 10 points per contest after he was an afterthought last season, Blake Lampman being able to shoot 40% for three, and all in all, an Oakland team that's taking care of the ball with about 11 turnovers per game, and a team that I think is going to be able to do a relatively solid job on the glass, that should be able to give the Xavier team a little bit of fit. So, I'm going to be willing to take 14 plus with Oakland, and here at about a 148, semi-12, 149.5, looking at the over, 853, 854 on the betting board. It is Wisconsin playing goes to Western Illinois. Western Illinois is between a 26 to a 26 half point underdog. Totals between 136 half and 137 half. Wisconsin is still playing slow and controlled, but their offense stands that game against Providence. They've actually been quite efficient. Now, it took them a long time to wake up in that game against SMU, but they were able to wake up, and now they go up against Western Illinois team that they are playing super duper fast. They're in the top 30 in terms of total possessions per game, and Western Illinois currently 241st in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And it's not like this Wisconsin team has been amazing on defense as well. Right around about 120th in terms of total possessions per game, and something I've noticed with Wisconsin is they just shoot a little bit different at home rather than on the road. Last year they shot about 39% from three-point range at home, more like 31.5% on the road, and currently this Wisconsin team is shooting below 30% from distance. That should be going up. Wisconsin is going to be able to control this game down low with Tyler Wall, Stephen Crawl combining for about 13 rebounds, 10.5 points per game apiece, and A.J. Store has been the top scorer for this team. He's currently shooting 23% from three-point range. Season ago, he shot north of 40% from distance. I think positivity is going to be coming in against a Western Illinois team that they just really don't do a good job with their defense in general. You haven't been able to get quite a bit down low on Drew Cisse. Comes in from the non-Division 1 level. He's been able to log right around 10.5 rebounds per game and then it's going to be Mr. Dent trying to put a dent into this Wisconsin defense. James Dent Jr. has been able to log about 18 points per game, shooting in the high 30s from three-point range for a Western Illinois team that they themselves are only shooting about 28% from the outside. Good news is they go up against a Wisconsin team that traditionally doesn't force a lot of turnovers. They've been a little bit better this year, but I do think that there's going to be regression there. The big question is, can Quinlan Bennett along Josiah West be able to pick it up as last season, these guys were a little bit better than what they are now. For Bennett, last two seasons, he's been logging about 10 points per contest, able to give you right around four and a half to five rebounds per game. He's only been able to give you about seven points per game thus far this season and Josiah West last season consistently gave you like 10 points, seven rebounds per game. He is currently giving you more like 8.6 boards. He's been able to come along in the last few games, but I do think that Wisconsin could get some open looks, and I do think that there's a lot of three-point positivity coming in for a pair of teams that are currently shooting below 30% from three-point range, so I am going to be taking a look at the over with that aspect. Wisconsin, they should be able to win this game, and win this game quite handily, but I do think that we went a little bit too far, especially with Wisconsin still being a little bit of a slow, grimy team, and Ryan Myers stepping up for Western Illinois. He's been able to chip in there about 11.5 points after he was a part-time starter at Iona a few seasons ago, so it is a spot where I'm going to be taking a look at the over and being able to get 26 or more, I'm going to be taking a look at Western Illinois. 855, 856 is a DK Network right-up pick. Let's try to string two in a row together as the old Peacocks of St. Peter's are going to be on the road facing off against Rutgers. Rutgers is between a 14.5 to a 15-point favorite. Totals between 121 and 122. My DK Network right-up pick is going to be on the over. 
I don't think we're going to have a race to like 80 here or anything like that, but this is just a hilariously low total for a Rutgers team that has been able to do a little bit more on offense recently. For this Rutgers bunch, I'm not saying that this team is going to end the season shooting like 40 plus percent from three or anything like that, but they put in there at least 69 points in three out of their last four games. It is a Rutgers team that ranks in the top 10 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but I do think that they're certainly going to be able to do their part on offense going up against a St. Peter's team that is outside the top 275 in opponent's three-point shooting percentage, where St. Peter's has really been solid down low, is on the glass, but that hasn't been so much on the defensive side rather than the offensive side. St. Peter's, a top-five team in the country right now in terms of percentage of missed shots that result in an offensive rebound. They are rebounding 41.1% of their missed shots. The man that is leading the way for them, Mohamed Sal, has been able to give you six half rebounds, only giving you about six points per contest, but you know what? You'll take those second chances. You've got a stat sheet suffer for the St. Peter's team and Latrell Reed, 11.5 points, 4.5 boards, 4.8 assists per game. I like what he's able to bring to the table, but he also brings to the table 3.5 turnovers per game. The St. Peter's team is turning the ball over about 14 times per game, and they run into a Rutgers team that is not generating as many turnovers as they did a season ago. Last year with Caleb McConnell and company, they certainly were a little bit of a different team, but they still do a solid job being able to generate some swipes with Rutgers. We shall see if Muat Mog is back in the fold as well. He's missed the entirety of the season. You could tell that this team is quite different when he is out there on the floor. Apparently, there's a chance he might be out playing this one. I personally ruled him out, but and said there is a possibility of some positivity there, and I do think that there should be a little bit of more positivity for Noah Fernandez as well. Started out this year struggling, but in his last two games, since coming over from UMass, he's really come into his own. Been averaging 11 points per game in these last two, three assists per game in each of them, a total of seven steals against Georgetown and Howard. That's a good sign for this Rutgers team, and Rutgers should be living at the free throw line in this one as Right now, St. Peter's is committing a foul on 33.4% of possessions. That is second in all of college basketball. We know that refs are calling a lot of fouls, so you get the clock stopped. You get a plenty of opportunities to be able to put the ball in the basket. And St. Peter's themselves have actually shot really well at the free throw line. 82.9% overall, 85.7% on the road. That is a top 10 mark in all of college basketball in terms of free throw shooting percentage. You've also, for St. Peter's, got Marcus Randolph chipping in there right around 10.5 points per contest. He comes in from Richmond. Fully recognize that this is a St. Peter's team that plays slowly about 340th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but I think the felling is going to allow for a lot more possessions And St. Peter's. Even though they do play so slowly, they've given up 70 plus points in three other four games thus far this season. So I do think that this is a total that is set just a little bit too low, and with this Rutgers team, they are a bunch that is just not quite the same on defense this year as they were a season ago. So very solid, but I think that we get some points here my DK Network right pick is on the overset. My total at 128.5 and set Rutgers as a 14.5 point favorite. So getting 15 or more, looking at St. Peter's to go along with the write-up of the over. 857, 858 on the betting board. It is Manhattan, and they are on the road facing up against Fordham. The Rams of Fordham find themselves as favorites of home of anywhere between 12 and 11.5 points, and your total is between 134 and 134.5. Semi-line at 9. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Manhattan. It's been a rough start to the season for Manhattan, but I do still have some question marks with this Fordham backcourt. They bring in Yasof Metter. He has come in from UTSA, where he was pretty much a designated scorer a season ago, being able to give the team right around 13 points per contest, but really didn't add a lot in terms of facilitation, things along those lines, and he has become a little bit more of a do-it-all player 
player with about 14 points, 2.5 assists per game, but he doesn't necessarily have a ton of help in the backcourt. Now, I do like Abdul Sabilia. He should be able to control things down low. He's been able to give the team right around 8.5 points, 8.5 boards, multiple blocks per contest, and this is a Fordham team that plays very good defense in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They were a top 50 team last season, and this season, they're picking up where they left off, more in the neighborhood of about... 63rd right now, so you'll certainly take that in for this Manhattan team. They've gotten blown out in a few games thus far, but when you play against Kansas and you play against UConn, your numbers are going to be quite a bit warped, which is why they're currently like 274th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, and I do think that it's a work in progress for John Gallagher, but I don't think that he's as bad as his team has shown thus far, and you do have a few pieces that you are able to rely upon. Brent Ruppel has been able to do a good job doling up about two and a half assists per game. He's chipping in their 10 points. Last year shot 50% for three-point range. Certainly it felt like there was going to be a little bit of a fall off there, but the guy that has really impressed, Sidu Traore. He comes in from the New York area as a true freshman and has been able to light it up with 15 points, 10 boards for a Manan team that is shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range. This has been a bunch that has turned the ball over about 13 and a half times for contest, but I do think that as the competition gets easier, that is going to ease up a little bit. I do think that you're going to get a bit more moving forward in the backcourt from Perry Cohen. He comes in from Brown where he was a priority reserve for them the last few seasons. Career only about 31.5% three-point shooter, but I look for him to be able to deliver a little bit of upside. Fordham should be able to control things on the glass along with Sambelia. You've been able to get about six points Boards, 10 points per game out of Joshua Rivera. Love what he's been able to bring to the table for the scene, but it is a Fordham team that is only shooting about 29% for three, 60% the free throw line, and with having Metter having to be the main trigger man for the scene, 17 turnovers per game, so I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a sloppier affair. I did set my total at 139 because Fordham is a bit more of an up-tempo team. They do rank in the top 120 in terms of total possessions per game. Fordham pretty solid defensively, but I do think that Manhattan is a better team than what their record shows for one and what the overall stats show because they have had a murderer's row to begin the season at Manhattan. Also a mid-tempo team, so going to be taking a look at the over in this spot and with Fordham going to set them as a 9-point favorite, so taking the points to go along with that over 859-860 on the betting board. It is Northern Illinois. They throw to face off against Northwestern. Northwestern is between an 11.5 and a 12.5 point favorite with your total 144.5. Set my line at 14.5. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Northwestern. This is just a step up in competition from Northern Illinois. You might be feeling themselves a little bit after knocking off DePaul. I need to see a DePaul versus Western Illinois matchup. That might be to determine who's currently the worst team in the state of Illinois. As Northern Illinois is right now 5-1. They've been a nice surprise with David Coyett being able to supply 21 points. Four and a half assists, shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range. I thought that down low was going to be a little bit of a liability for this Northern Illinois team, but Yannick Conan Niederhauser has really done a solid job with 10 points, six and a half boards of his own, so he's been able to come along for the ride as well. This is a team that, other than him, you really don't have a lot of guys giving you north of about five, five and a half rebounds per game. Zareek Nutter is really that number two guy, but I do think that for Northwestern, their defense is going to be a little bit too tough fully recognize that it's not like Northwestern has necessarily played the world's greatest schedule to this point, but last year they were one of the top defenses in all of college basketball in terms of being able to generate turnovers. This year they're more around 126th in the country turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, but I think that that'll pick up, and while this Northern Illinois team is looking to play fast, they're in the top 40 in terms of total possessions per game, I think Northwestern looking to slow things down and really have Brooks Barnheiser dominate down low is going to present a challenge for them. Barnheiser, about 8 boards, 16 and a half points per game, capable 
full of popping threes. And then Boo Booey is just one of the best floor generals in all of college basketball. He's been able to supply 17.5 points per game. Last year, he was a little bit more efficient with the ball of Northwestern being a top three team in terms of fewest turnovers on a per possession basis. He has had more like nine turnovers per game. And this is a Northwestern team that I think they're going to improve from their current 29% three-point shooting. Last year, they were more around a 32% three-point shooting team. And I think that that's pretty representative of what they are with bringing in Ryan Langbord, who is relatively solid over at Princeton. Ty Berry should be able to do a solid job in the backcourt as well for Northern Illinois. This is certainly a team that is lighting it up in terms of their offense as they have been able to get to at least 89 points in four of their last five games. I just don't think that that's going to be the case here against a Northwestern team that has given up 66 points or fewer in every one of their games. So it's a good old situation of something has got to give. I do lean a little bit more to the defense here, and I set my total at a 142.5, and I do think this is slightly correlated. Like, I like the under, and that puts me on Northwestern. If you like the over, you probably like Northern Illinois, but I do think that Northwestern does a good job getting this game at their speed, so I'm going to be diving in on this total under, and I'm going to be willing to lay it with Northwestern, set them at 14 and a half. 861-862 on the betting board. Utah Tech is on the road facing off against Lindenwood. Lindenwood is a 4-5 to a point underdog, and your total is between 144 and a half and 145. With Lindenwood, I set them as a two and a half point underdog. I've actually been mildly impressed by what we've seen out of this Lindenwood team, so I'm going to be willing to take the points. And this is a Utah Tech team that is in transition. They lose four other top five scores from a season ago. Tanner Christensen should be the best old post player in this game. 12 and a half points, seven and a half fours, capable of shooting threes. And Utah Tech was a good three point shooting team a season ago. They're shooting about 36 half percent this season. What's right now killing them is the turnovers. 15 and a half turnovers per game. This is a Utah Tech tech team that they play fast they don't play like super duper out of control fast but this is a team that's going to be willing to push it they're about 73rd in the country in terms of total possessions per game they're going up against a Lindenwood team that I feel like they've been without an identity since coming up to the division one ranks they're a very mid-tempo team at right around 186th but what this team does know is that they've got a guy that's able to go out there and ball on Keenan Cole who's been able to stuff the statue for them four and a half boards right around 17 points per game you have a lot of guys around them that are trying to contribute and they need to find that that main point guard. They don't have a single guy giving you multiple assists per game. I think that guy should be Darius Bean when it's all said and done. Began his career at Northern Illinois where he was able to be like a 9.5 point per game scorer during the 2020-21 season. He had 4.5 boards, 2.5 assists. I think that this is someone that can rise up moving forward and size is going to be a little bit of an issue for the team but David Ware down low has been able to give you about 5 boards. Doesn't really give you a lot of scoring but for this Lindenwood team I do think that they are going to be able to force Utah Tech into some turnovers and for Lindenwood, they've looked much different recently rather than at the beginning of the season. Being able to knock off William and Mary in Omaha, recognize that these aren't like amazing teams or anything like that, but being able to string together back-to-back wins, I think was very important for them. And you've got a Utah Tech team that against Division I competition, they have gotten past the 70-point plateau once, and that was due to the game against Jacksonville State going to overtime, though they did score 71 points in regulation. So I do think that for Lindenwood, they're going to be able to do a solid job defensively, though I do think think that things get cranked up a little bit more in this spot, which is why I did somebody total at 148 and half. And on top of that, when you have a close game like I expect this to be, you probably are going to get some late game fouls. So going to be taking a look at the over. Elf Lindenwood won't take the points, set them as a two and a half point underdog. 863, 864 on the betting board. It is Fresno State and they're going to be playing OCUC Santa Barbara. The old Gauchos find themselves as two to two and a half point underdogs and your total is between 143 and 145. Talked about this game a little bit with Sean and I'm with him here. With AJ Mitchell back in the full I sent Santa Barbara as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them outright on the money line. I 
do think that we need to scrap a little bit of what we saw from UC Santa Barbara prior to him coming back into the fold because A.J. Mitchell is one of the best mid-major guards in all of college basketball and then you're able to team up with the Yoan Traore who's been just tremendous since coming over from Auburn, a former top 50 recruit that's given you 17 half points per game. Now, 6'11", you need to pull in there more than four rebounds per game when you're playing in the Big West, but he certainly is going to be an elevator for the team. And getting the ball out of the hands of Josh Pierre-Louis, I think, is big as well. I know that a lot of people like Josh Pierre-Louis. I've never really seen it with him. Recognize that he's averaging 15 points, five boards, five assists, but it's also come with five turnovers per game, and he's a career less than 30% three-point shooter. So, I've always had my question marks with him, but what I don't have question marks with is a man down low. It might be Bland, but Ariel Bland has been able to give you right around 10 rebounds per game, and then for Fresno State, this team is a better three-point shooting team than they were a season ago. Last year, they were in the bottom 30 in terms of three-point shooting percentage, bringing in Xavier Dussel from Wyoming was big. He's currently shooting 44% from the outside, right around 12 points per contest, but right now you've got out of your top four scores that have made at least one three, all of them shooting at least 36.5% from distance. I think that we are going to see some regression with this Fresno State team. They bring in Jalen Weaver, who's over at Nevada to begin his career. He's been able to give this offense a little bit of pop. Isaiah Hill, Donovan Yap, they've been your main two scorers with Hill doling out six assists per game, but He's not naturally a super efficient point guard. He's been turning the ball over about two and a half times per game himself. And as a team, Fresno State, 16 turnovers per game. And I actually do think that they do a solid job down low. You've got Eduardo, Andre 3000, along with Enyak Boyke. These two guys, they've been able to combine for about 13 rebounds per game. But I do think that Traore is going to be able to step it up on the glass. I like what Bland is able to do. And the X Factor for this Santa Barbara team Cole Anderson, someone who had six foot four, he bombed it at about 40% from three-point range his first two years on campus. He's continuing that this year. He is one of the main constants for the team on offense, and I do think that Barbara going to be able to get the job done in a game that I think is going to be slowed down. You see Santa Barbara when they are firing all cylinders with A.J. Mitchell, a 15-plus point-per-game score from the season ago. Typically, this team is outside the top 275 in terms of total possessions per game. Fresno State is right now about 110th in terms of total possessions per game. Part of that is because they did play an overtime game. They also played against James Madison, Morgan State, two super-duper up-tempo teams, and I do think that they're going to be falling back to the pack in terms of their total possessions per game. So, diving in on the under and I'm going to be willing to take Santa Barbara outright on the money line. 865-866 on the betting board. It is Washington State, and they play us to Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington, a 13.5 to a 14.5 point underdog. Your totals between 148.5 and 149. And with old Eastern Washington, I did set them as an underdog of 10 points. I'm going to be willing to take the points. Fully recognize that this is not necessarily the same Eastern Washington team that we've seen the last few years, but... He still have some weapons for the team. Cedric Coward, he's been tremendous. 14 points, six half boards, shooting 35% for three. It's a six foot six, sort of do a little bit of everything sort of guy. And though Washington State has been able to persevere thus far since that game against Mississippi State, I still have my question marks with this offense. It's Washington State team that is still playing at a relatively slow tempo, like what Andre Yagmoski is able to do 13 half points, five and a half boards, and at six foot eight. Bombing it at north of 40% from three-point range. And the real score for the team has become Miles Rice. The freshman that was limited to like one game a few seasons ago has dealt with all sorts of ailments. He's come in and he has been actually very solid with 15 points per game. But this is still a Washington State team that shooting 62% of the free throw line. They're very much reliant upon their home court advantage. And they've got a very good one up there on Pullman. But Eastern Washington, they are used to making this road trip. And I don't think that they're going to be afraid of it. I also want to see a little bit more of Joseph Yusufu. When he got big time minutes.
minutes at Drake a few seasons ago. He was able to supply 12.5 points for a team that made the NCAA tournament, then spent a few years on the bench at Kansas and just hasn't really been able to get it going. Meanwhile, for Eastern Washington, they're going to have a little bit of a tough time on the glass, but you've got Dane Erickstrup, who stands right around six foot 10-ish. He's able to pop a few threes. I do think that Casey Jones is going to be able to improve upon the current three rebounds per game that he has. Last season was able to give the team right around 7.5 points, 5.5 boards, so looking for a little bit of upside there. And then LaJuan Watts as a true freshman. He's come in. He's been able to give the team right around 5.5 boards, doing a solid job down low for an Eastern Washington team that needs to cut down on the 14 turnovers per game, but they're also going up against a Washington State team that they don't necessarily do the world's greatest job of being able to generate turnovers. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a slowdown game for Eastern Washington's liking. So I did set my total at 148. Here at a 148.5 to a 149, I'm going to be willing to dive in on the under. And with Eastern Washington, I do think that they're going to be able to do enough down low to be able to hold up. And with Washington State, do want to see a little bit more out of the guard play. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Eastern Washington. 867-868 on the banking board. It is Utah on the road facing off against St. Mary's. St. Mary's a favorite of between 4.5 and 5.5 and and points. Your total is between 133.5 and 134 with St. Mary's can only set them as two and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take these points with Utah. I really do like this Utah team, and I think that they've got all sorts of upside for St. Mary's. They were on that brutal three-game war run where they lose three in a row to Weber State, San Diego State, and Xavier, where they were unable to exceed the 57-point plateau in any of those games. I fully do think that this is a much better offense than what they showed there. At the same time, you do have to wonder if there's maybe a little bit of a fall-off from last season with this team. Ada Mahaney's had to be the do-it-all scorer. With 14 points, 3 assists, he's shooting 38% from 3. He has been tremendous, but who else is going to be able to step up for this team? You've got Augustus Marcelonis, who last season he was able to give the team 6 points per contest. He's been able to do a relatively solid job. Alex Dusas, we all know about his versatility, a career north of 37% 3-point shooter, but Last year, he supplied about 12.5 points per game. He's down to giving you more in the neighborhood, about 9 points per game. You need to get him online. Mitchell Saxon does his job down low on offense. He's solid, but he's not necessarily great. And you take a look at this Utah team, and you've got so many ways to be able to score with this team, including Brandon Carlson supplying 19.5 points, 6.5 boards at 7 feet tall. He's shooting in the high 30s from 3-point range. Utah as a whole shooting 39% from the outside. Now, the one fear that you do have with this Utah team, they aren't quite the same team on the road as they are at home. And you're currently dealing with Kiba Kita, dealing with a little bit of an injury. The last time we saw him was about a week and a half ago against Wake Forest. I do think that he's going to be out of the fold once again, but still have Gabe Madsen, Raleigh Worcester in the backcourt with Worcester supplying 6.5 assists at 1.6 turnovers per game. It is a Utah bunch. They do a nice job of being a rebound by committee with right now, if you include Keita, you have pretty much seven different guys that are able to give you at least five rebounds per game. I do think that he's probably going to be out of the fold in this one, but all in all, I do think that Utah is going to be able to hold in there against St. Mary's. I do think that this is going to be a low-scoring slog. You did see Utah pop off for a very high-scoring game against St. John's at Wake Forest. That's a little bit of a product of the competition. I do think that Utah's a little bit of a chameleon. You want to play slow like St. Mary's does, they'll play slow. You want to play fast like a team like St. John's, Wake Forest does, they will as well. So I do take a look at this spot as a good one for the under. Semi total 128.5 and at three or more, won't take the points with Utah. This last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we get the extra games. 869, 870. It is North Dakota State on the road facing off against San Jose State. San Jose State, a 7.5 to an 8 point favorite. And your total is between 132.5 and 133.5. And, and I did set my total 136.5. 
going to be going in on the over. With North Dakota State, they typically take the non-conference portion of the season to experiment. I have actually noticed this a lot with North Dakota State, so it does make it very interesting. And you've got a San Jose State team that they typically play slowly, and they've been good on defense thus far. 37th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, North Dakota State. They are not that. They are 331st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but I do think that North Dakota State is starting to figure it out, and I am going to be willing to take the points. You're still without Robert Viola for the San Jose State team. It is still a team that is in a little bit of transition after last season. You'll lose the Mountain West Player of the Year, and well, that's a little bit of an issue, as life without Amari Moore has led to a lot of Alvaro Cardenas, who's been able to give you about 13.5 points, 5 assists per contest. It is a San Jose State team that needs to cut down on the 13 turnovers per game, though they've been able to shoot right around 35% from three-point range in terms of their defense. They have really shut teams down from beyond the arc, but where I do think that North Dakota State is going to be able to hold in there is that they do have quite a bit of size. You've got down low Andrew Morgan, a guy that was able to give you about six rebounds per game. Certainly not having Mr. Grant Nelson out there hurts the team a little bit, but Bowden Skunberg is one of the more underrated players in all of college basketball. He's lighting it up at about 38% for three-point range, 16 points, a steal, five and a half rebounds per game, and now with North Dakota State, unlike the last few years, it feels like they finally have a point guard, Damari Wheeler-Thomas, who's been able to give out three assists to 1.4 turnovers per game. He himself is shooting 46.5% from three, and you've got Dejavius Miller along Jakari White, also shooting north of 42% from three-point range. They've been able to combine for about 16 points per game, so like what they're able to bring to the table, you've got some relatively solid depth with this North Dakota State team as well. I was mentioning that they experiment quite a bit. They've got 10 different guys. They're giving you at least 10 minutes per contest, and I do think that things are going to start to turn around for a North Dakota State team that they had to play to begin the season. Creighton, we all knew that that was going to be a relatively tough test for them. They go on the road, they knock off Montana, and it does feel like they've got things going in the right direction. Got a San Jose State team as very much been priding themselves on defense. You've got a offense-oriented team in North Dakota State, but with Jebek Ronera and all of his versatility at six foot eight, able to pop threes for San Jose State, chipping in their 14-plus points per game. I do think that you're going to be able to get some points, and I do think that North Dakota State has found themselves enough to be able to keep this snug and be able to force some late game falling. So I did some my total at 136 half. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a slow grinder of a game, but I do think that we get enough scoring to be able to push this total over, and I'm going to take eight or more with North Dakota State. Set this line at seven and a half. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306-621-306-622. It is the Blue Osa Presbyterian on the road facing off against Elon. Elon is a favorite of anywhere between three and three and a half points in your total between 147 and 148. Said Elon is a four-point favorite. Going to be one to lay the number. Presbyterian had that impressive opening night win against Vanderbilt, and Elon very nearly had one of their own. Elon was up like 20 points against Wake Forest and then went down the toilet bowl from there, but I do think that Elon is going to be able to do a solid job of being able to just hang with this team with their backcourt, because I do think that Rob Higgins coming in from St. Francis of New York was a very under-the-radar transfer. He was a four-year starter over at St. Francis, where he averaged between 11.1 and 11.5 points every single year. is able to give you about three to three and a half assists per game like he did the last two seasons, and then you've got Max McKinnon, who just impacts the game in so many different ways. He gives you three assists. He gives you 12 points. He gives you five boards. He's currently shooting 52.5% for three. We should see a little bit of a fall off there as Elon as a whole, they're shooting his collective 41.5% from distance. That is not going to be withstanding the entirety of the season. But how about T.K. Simpkins, who has come in from 
from the non-divisional level, and he's been able to give you 37.5% from three-point range. Flip side, four, Presbyterian. You don't necessarily have ideal rebounding. You lose Owen McCormick from a season ago, so you've been having to mix and match a little bit with Kobe Stewart, Jonah Pierce, giving you a combined about 12 boards in the neighborhood about 14.5 points per game, and it has been a tremendous start to the season for Samaj Teal. 14 points per game on 58% three-point shooting. Just like I was saying, Elon is doing for a little bit of regression. Mr. Teal is as well, and I was just expecting a little bit more of Javon Reddish Roan. He's been able to supply five and a half points two assists, four and a half rebounds. He's doing a little bit of everything, but you expected him to maybe give you a little bit more scoring, give you a little bit more on the glass, and ever since that big win that Presbyterian had against Vanderbilt, they've been able to keep it going, but it's been against much lesser competition. Knocking off teams like the Citadel, they get housed by double figures against Maine, they get a win against North Florida, and they barely scrape by against Northwestern State, but I think their 5-2 record is a product of some really, really bad competition now. It's not like Elon has necessarily been knocked off the world's greatest teams as well, but they had a relatively spirited effort against Winthrop. They were able to take down East Tennessee State as well, and I do think that Elon has a little bit more versatility with Presbyterian not having a lot on the glass, and Elon having, in my opinion, a little bit more in the backcourt with Rob Hinkins stolen out the ball. I think that Elon should be able to get the job done at home, and I do think that both of these offenses are going to really start to cool down with their overall shooting. Neither of these teams are super up-tempo, and I do think that regression is coming their way. Set my total at a 142, diving in on the under end with Elon willing to lay up to 3.5 with them, 306, 623, 306, 624. Eastern Kentucky plays host of Troy. The men of Troy are between four and five point underdogs with a total of 150 and a half. Semi total of 150. Now that we've got the hook here, I'm going to be taking a look at the under. This is very much going to be a Temple War as Eastern Kentucky, year in and year out, they're one of the fastest teams in all of college basketball. They're back at it, 35th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Troy is number two, but this is because they have played some overtime in some of their games. This is not a product of Troy going super duper up-tempo. We've got to expect this to be tapering off quite a bit. I believe that actually led off the year with that double overtime game against Oregon State, and then they played another overtime game against Sam Houston. And when you've got a small sample size, those extra possessions that are overtime and double overtime really throws that off. But for Troy, you've got Christian Eugene in the backcourt. He's really the main holdover from a season ago. 15 points, 5 boards, 4 assists, one and a half steals. Love his game. And then he's able to get the ball to Amir Muhammad, who he a season ago had about 10 points per contest in the mid-30s from 3 point range is what he's shooting and it's a Troy team that as well. They're shooting about 30.5% for distance, but 17 turnovers per game, that's a little bit unsightly. And despite all these extra minutes that they've been playing, you've got two guys averaging more than four rebounds per game. You've got Eugene and then Thomas Stout, who's been able to give you six rebounds per game, and that's where I do think that they're going to be going wrong. You've got an Eastern Kentucky team that, with Isaiah Cozart down low, he is going to be able to completely dominate and take over this game. Comes in from Western Kentucky, and he's been able to log a double-double, 18.5 points, 10.5 boards, and he's currently giving you 4.8 blocks per game. That's not going to be withstanding, but he had 2.5 blocks per game eight seasons ago, and then you got Devontae Blanton along with Michael Moreno. These are a pair of guys that throughout their career they shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range. Both of these guys, double-figure scorers the last few seasons. Now, I do want to see the continued progression of Turner Buttry. He last season only logged about three points per contest, but when the team was in the CBI, he was seeing meaningful minutes. He was able to take some strides forward, and if you're able to have Tayshawn Comer be able to pick back up 
where he was a season ago. He was logging about eight points, three and a half assists per game. It is going to be massive for an Eastern Kentucky team that they look to run it, they look to gun it, they look to generate steals, but now is very good in the post as well. I think that Troy is going to have all sorts of issues here, and I do think that a Troy team that has been logging a bunch of minutes to hype up their offensive numbers, I think that that's going to be crashing down a little bit as I don't think that they're going to do the world's greatest job of being able to break this Eastern Kentucky just interesting defense that generates a bunch of steals. So, semi total 150. I'm going to be diving in on the under at 150.5 or higher. And with Eastern Kentucky, one to lay up to 5.5 with them. Set them as a six point favorite. 3 of 6, 625. 3 of 6, 626. Hampton plays those to UMBC. UMBC is an underdog of 1.5 to 2 points, and your total is 167.5. I set my total at 160. So, I'm going to be diving in on the under UMBC after they were a mid tempo team, but a team that scored a lot and they gave up a lot of points a season ago. Now they're cranking up their tempo a little bit more, but the efficiency from three-point range isn't quite there like it was in past years because they are turning the ball over much more. 13 and a half turnovers per game this season. After that, it was more like 10 a season ago. They're actually shooting a bit better from three-point range overall as they're shooting in the neighborhood about 37% from three-point range. You've been able to have good production out of Marcus Banks Jr. He's coming from Western Carolina, been able to shoot about 39% from three-point range, but you really don't have that main trigger man for this team. He's gotten about five boards, three assists, 14 half points per game out of Deion Brown, the only of their top six scorers that returned from the season ago. I do like the addition that they made for the Chicago State transfer in Bryce Johnson, who's been able to give you about nine points per game, but they really don't have a ton down low, much like a season ago as Brown is right now leading the team with about five rebounds per game. You do have the USC upstate transfer in Kadarius Smith being able to log 15 points, but he's not giving you a lot down low, and I do think that that is going to be playing in the hands of Hampton, which is why I did set them as a two-point favorite, because I do think that Kyrie Smolin is going to be able to really run things down low. 15 and a half points, eight and a half boards, a little bit over a steal per game. It is a little bit of a top-heavy Hampton team, but they bring in some talent. Josiah Lusain, he was over at Campbell a season ago. He's able to give you about eight and a half points per game at six foot seven, six foot eight. He's able to pop some threes. You've had Amir Nesbitt, the brother of Jordan Nesbitt, who's been dealing with injury with Hampton. He's been able to do a nice job taking strides forward, shooting 40% per three, giving out three assists per game with Hampton. They play fast, but they do play a little bit out of control as well. They turn the ball over about 15 and a half times per game. Tedrick Wilcox, who comes in from St. Francis of Brooklyn, is currently shooting 50% per three with 16 points per game. As a whole, Hampton shooting about 33% per three. I do think that that is going to be withstanding for the scene, but I do think that things are going to be slowed down just a little bit. I think that Curry Smolin going to be able to win the battle down low to allow Hampton to be able to win this game. I'm willing to lay up to one and a half with Hampton, set them as a two-point favorite. And I think you get quite a bit of scoring. I think we went a little bit too far with the total, especially with Hampton. Scoring 68 points or fewer in three other four games since their clash with a non-D1 foe against Division One competition. So, diving in on this total under, and I'm going to be one to lay up to a point and a half with Hampton. 306-627, 306-628. New Hampshire is on the road facing off against UConn. UConn is between a 30 and a half and a 31 and a half point favorite, and your total is between 147 and a half and 147. I did say UConn is a 31 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the 31 slash 30 and a half. Got a UConn team that's just absolutely dominating down low. Donovan Klingon, Alex Caravan, and Caravan is doing a great job of being able to launch from three-point range. Going up against a New Hampshire team that I think that they've got one of the best mid-major players in all of college basketball, Clarence Daniels. 21 points, 9 boards, 1.7 steals per game. That has been absolutely amazing, but you got a UConn team that has so many guys that they contribute in many, many different ways. Tristan Newton, averaging darn near a triple-double right now. 6.8 assists, 7.8 rebounds, 15.5 points on 34.5% three-point shooting. As a matter of fact, I do think that Tristan 
Cam Newton had a triple-double in his last game against Manhattan. You've had Cam Spencer come over after he was in the Big Ten eight seasons ago. He's shooting north of 48% for three, 16 points, four assists, three boards. He just does a little bit of everything. You've been dealing with the injury to Stephon Castle, but that really hasn't slowed this team down one bit. Meanwhile, you've got a New Hampshire team that, outside of Clarence Daniels, you've been able to get about 15 points per contest out of Ahmad Robinson. Robinson has been able to be the main trigger man, doling out about five assists per game, but down low, you really don't have a lot with this team. You bring in the central Arkansas transfer in Jackson Baker. He's able to give you seven rebounds per game, but he stands absolutely no chance whatsoever against Donovan Klingon. And other than Daniels and Baker, you don't have a single guy giving you north of four and a half rebounds per game. You've had Trey Woodyard come in from Valparaiso. He's giving you about six points, four boards. You just need a little bit more out of him. And for UConn, this team has covered all but two of their non-conference games the last few seasons. And the last few times they were unable to cover was because they were laying north of 30 points. That Mississippi Valley State game where they were laying like 46-plus. And against Manhattan, they closed a 35.5-point favorite. They win by 30. I do think that if you get north of 31.5, then you've gotten to a point of no return. But I'm willing to lay up to 31 with UConn in this one. A semi-total 139. New Hampshire, not a particularly up-tempo team. And this UConn team is one of the most efficient defenses in the country. So looking at the under, and willing to lay up to 31 with UConn. And we wrap things up with 306 629 306 630 TCU plays OCU Christian. He's a Christian. An underdog of 35 to 35 and a half points in your total. It's between 162 and a half and 163. I set my line at 35 and a half. 35 is a max I'm willing to lay, but I'm willing to lay 35 with TCU. This TCU bunch has really been able to come along for the ride with so many transfers, being able to fire on all cylinders. You were wondering how the scene would look without Mike Miles. So far, so good as the main guy has been Jameer Nelson Jr. in terms of just overall versatility as he's done a great job coming in, giving this team three assists, three steals, 11.5 points per game. He doesn't light it up from three-point range, but that's why you've got Micah Peavy shooting 35.5% from distance, 13 points per game now. Jacoby Coles is going to probably see a little bit of a fall from this, but 16 points, five boards, two assists, and he has made 66.5% of his threes as as far as the season, he has done a 15 from three-point range. Certainly, that is not going to be withstanding coming through for the rest of the season, but the team also does a solid job down low with Emmanuel Miller being able to give you about six boards per game. The Kansas transfer, Ernest Uday Jr., he knows his role. He doesn't score a lot, only about two and a half points per game, but he gives you a run around five and a half to six rebounds per game. Good, does a good job of being able to protect the rim. And you've got a Houston Christian team that's just running around like turkeys with their heads cut off. You've got Boink Maranke, who's been able to do a solid job, being able to give you about seven boards. He's chipping in there, two and a half assists per game. And at six foot ten, he's really having to try to be a point forward for the team last year. Shot about 30.5% from three-point range. Now, to the credit of Marcus Green, he's come in from Sacramento State, and he's been solid. He's been able to give the team 16.5 points per game, and he's shooting an unrealistic 46.5% from three. And while he shoots 46.5% from three, the team is shooting 19.6% from three-point range. Now, I will go out here on a limb and say that he's a Christian, though they stink, they will shoot better than 19.6% from three-point range for the entirety of the season. So I do think that there's a little bit of positivity coming through for them, but these two teams, they gun it. TCU, 
15th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Houston Christian, 6th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And the defense, even though the offense it's playing at the relatively the same up-tempo pace, could not be any different. Houston Christian, 342nd in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, you've got TCU, number 5. So it's a good old situation of something you got to give. I don't want to lay anything more than 35 here, but I'm going to be willing to lay 35. And I do think that you get plenty of points. Set my total at 163.5. So out of 163 or less, going to be taking a look at the over to go along with TCU laying this Mondo number. And now we'll wrap things up. For the Monday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the Visa Family of Podcasts. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at gnet underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on the podcast five that five-star review, and a big thanks once again to Sean Paul, who does great work over at the Field of 68 for joining me in the last segment. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, and that means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey everybody, welcome to Across Generations where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.